join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. It is such a beautiful way to begin our morning together with music, and I appreciated the introduction to that as well. Thank you, Robert. Good morning to each of you. I am Amelia Richardson-Dress. I am one of the pastors here at UCC Longmont. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And along with Reverend Sarah Verasco, with Robert, who you have met briefly, with Sam, with our AV team, and our nursery staff who are there in the back, welcome to each and every one of you. Today's service is an intergenerational service, and this space is always a space for people of all ages and stages and abilities. So please do what you need to do today to be comfortable during our time together. There is a staffed nursery just right in the back room here. There is also a coloring table right at the back of the sanctuary that anybody who uh, thinks better when their hands are busy is welcome to use. Uh, we expect and welcome movement throughout the service uh, as we respond to the Spirit and as we are present in this time together. When we get together each and every Sunday, we like to greet one another saying the words that are printed in your bulletin. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. So know that welcome is extended to you this morning each of you in this space. And this morning we will be paying particular attention through our music and our reflections to breath and the way that God comes to us in breath. And so as we prepare to settle into that time, I'd like to invite each of you to join me in a practice um, that is similar to box breathing. Some of you may know that, where you breathe in for a count of four and you hold for four, release for four, and hold at the bottom for four. As we do that shape together a couple times this morning, I'm going to guide you and invite you to think of that breath a little bit differently. So that as we breathe in together, we breathe in the breath of God. We hold on to God's presence. We release. And as we sit at the bottom, even in those few seconds of emptiness, we know that God's life-giving force is only a breath away. So let us try that together. We'll do a few times through, and I will guide you. Let us breathe in, knowing we breathe in the breath of God. Hold, sitting in that presence. Release with a blessing, holding again, knowing even here, God is only a breath away, and let us do one more breath together, breathing in the breath of God, holding that presence, 
letting go perhaps with a blessing and sitting in the emptiness for a moment knowing God is just a breath away. Throughout our service and throughout your day and even throughout your week, that may be a practice that you return to. And if it does, know that it is always there for you. Let us rise in spirit and sing number 168 in the new sanctuary hymnal, O Radiant Christ Incarnate Word. singing breath becomes sound and the same for our speaking so let us join together in our gathering prayer and you might be attentive to the different times and places where breath comes in stays and leaves in the beginning God created all things at our beginning God created us In all our new beginnings, God creates something new. Creator God, breath of life. Our souls to sense your presence. Amen.
I mentioned that we were thinking about breath today, and we are going to hear in um, our reading one of the creation stories from the book of Genesis. We know a few things about the creation stories in Genesis. We know that they are not scientific accounts of the beginning of the world, and that they're not really trying to be. We know that they are theological accounts. They are written to tell us something about God and about God's role in the world. We know also that there are two separate stories. There is this one that we will hear in just a moment, and then there is another version earlier in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. That's the one where God creates in six six days and rests on the seventh. And that one was written by... um, a person that we just call P. We don't really know, of course, much about this person. We call them P because they show up throughout uh, the Old Testament as the priestly source, and they ended up writing a lot of Leviticus as well. We know that the version that we are about to read in chapter 2 was written by a person who we call the Yahwehist because they refer to God as Yahweh. And this is the author who wrote much of the other first five books of the Bible. When we read this story then in a moment, we aren't reading it with an eye for science or an eye for history. We're reading it to hear what it still says to us about who God is and, who, and how God interacts with the world. And I'm starting with all of that because I want you to hear the story this morning, the bit that we're going to read with fresh ears. I want you to hear it for what it says, and not what we think it says, and not what we want it to say or what we don't want it to say, but what God is saying in it to us. And so in chapter 2, right at the beginning of the Bible, beginning in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, because God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, But a stream would rise from the earth, and it would water the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a human from the dust of the ground and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And the human became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden And he put the human whom he had formed there. And out of the ground, God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It seems that humans, the story goes way back, it seems that humans have always been fascinated by the possibility of making something that is not alive become alive. 
That's what happens here, life out of dust. And it's a theme that shows up even now. You recognize it. That's what happens in the story of the gingerbread man and in the Jewish folk traditions of the golem, which is, of course, directly related, related to this story. It's the story behind Pinocchio and even behind some of those horror movies where dolls come to life and do terrible things in the middle of the night. <laughs> I think in some ways this mystery of life and what creates life out of nothing is even more puzzling with modern science. Because we understand even more now that we are formed of the same stuff as the rest of the universe. Our DNA contains the very same atoms that everything else is made of. Except we live and move and have being in a way that other arrangements of this stuff do not. For the writer of the story that we read, what distinguishes humanity from the rest of creation is the breath of life. It's that life that was breathed by God's own self into the human that God made from mud. And it's worth taking just a moment here to notice that the human is not the peak of God's creation in this story. The peak of God's creation is the garden. That's what the story is leading up to. You might have noticed there in verse 5 that the earth is dusty because God hasn't created rain, but also because God hasn't yet put someone there to tend to the ground. All the way down in verse 15, which we didn't get to, when God takes the human and puts them in the garden, it's with the command to serve it. We end up with something like till or dig in most of our translations, but it really shows up uh, more as a word that comes from worship, to serve it. There's a stronger sense that humanity is given the job of working for and with the garden. And I noticed it because we are a, a congregation with a long commitment to creation justice, and this is noteworthy. But I actually want to think about it today from a different angle, and that is the angle of work. It's the angle that humanity's existence is connected to a job that they are given. It's a funny way to shape a utopia, I think. I think when we think about uh, versions of paradise or a perfect world, we usually are thinking about more fun, not more work. We want a world where um, the food maybe doesn't have to be nurtured from the ground but comes from the sky like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. And yet the author of this story tells us that the world of no work and all play was never part of the plan. Instead, humans were created for meaningful work. They were created right from the beginning for purpose. 
When we talk about meaningful work in churches, we usually talk about it in something like vocation. And the idea of vocation has been a loaded word for as long as it has been around. And it's loaded because we're never quite sure what we mean when we talk about it. The reason it becomes complicated is because not everyone gets to choose their paid work. If everyone got to be paid for their dream jobs and live out their purpose that way, the idea of vocation would be a lot easier. But for one reason or another, many folks find themselves doing jobs to put food on the table that are not their dream jobs. Sometimes it's health, sometimes it's access to education, sometimes it's limitations put on people by a culture or a religious system. And that means that for many people, the way that they spend their day to day, the things that they do that let them get food from the ground isn't a calling, it's just a necessity. So when we talk about purposeful work, we always have to allow for that. Our minute-by-minute existence might not always align easily with our sense of purpose. The writer of this story has an interesting look at that. And for them, it's explained in what we call the fall. You know that story. In a few verses, humans are going to make a choice, and they are going to eat from a forbidden tree, and they are going to be moved out of Eden. And when that happens, one of the consequences is that work will become hard. God tells them, you've done this, and now you're going to toil and sweat to get food from the ground all of your days. We don't have to take that story literally either to appreciate a truth about who we are, and that is that our relationship to work is often distorted. We don't always get to be in the perfect Venn diagram where our purpose and our passion and our pay are all aligned right in the center. Sometimes our day jobs become boring. Our dream jobs don't pay the bills. A life change, like New parenthood causes us to reevaluate what we do and why we do it. And so we're left there, wondering a little bit, outside of Eden, I like to think of it, trying to find something we can't quite get to. And that's when I think the story is the most helpful. Because in that imaginative wonder, it gives us a way of rethinking. Rather than focusing solely on what is my purpose, we can ask, how can I live with purpose? When I think of people who do that well, I think of a man that we will call Steve this morning. His job started as a necessity. He had always known from a child that he was called to be a social worker. But then he himself had a child earlier than he had expected to. And with a young family, 
the cost and the time to go to school were impossible. So he took a job as a salesperson at a car dealership just to make ends meet for a while. And he always planned to regroup and get back to his real vocation. And then 15 years later, when I met Steve, he was still at the sales job, and he knew this was his career. Initially, he was frustrated, even depressed, he said, not because there was anything wrong with what he was doing, but because it wasn't where his life's work was, he thought. A shift came to him later when he realized that he works with people at a crucial moment in their lives. That he works with them when they are making a major decision and often under some stress. And once he stopped thinking about selling cars and started thinking about how he could help people in those moments, he felt invigorated in a different way. Vocation or purposeful work is rarely a one-time mission from God. More often, it shifts, and it doesn't just shift because we change, although that's often part of it. It shifts sometimes because things are outside of our control. We end up being planted in a garden that was different than the one we imagined for ourselves. Thinking about this vocation outside of Eden lets us know that it is possible to have a life of purpose even if we are in a moment when we're not living the life we dreamed. A friend of mine, Dr. Eileen Campbell, who teaches at a seminary, talks about a time in her career, uh, which was and is really her calling, when she hit a rough point. She said that work became a mismatch for her. And in this moment of crisis, she was prayerfully directed to consider four questions. Those questions were, what do I get to do? What don't I get to do? What do I have to do? And what don't I have to do? She ended up spending some time creating a collage, sort of like a vision board, answering these questions for herself with where she was at just at that moment. Just at that moment, what are these things? And she said it led to a shift. And I'm not sure, actually, whether it led to a shift in position or a shift in herself, um, a shift in the focus of the work she was doing. But I don't think we really have to know um, how that showed up for her to appreciate the wisdom of the questions that she turned to. They're the type of thing that can help us gain some clarity about the work that we are doing. And so we are going to put those questions up um, on the screen here in the sanctuary and for those of you at home and spend just a moment or two in a time of reflection on your own. Uh, Robert will have some music to support us in our reflection. You might draw or doodle, turn to prayer. Let's just see where the breath of God moves in us. For a minute.
I know that was probably not quite enough time to dig in deeply, but I hope that for those of you whose spirits were yearning for those questions, it was enough time to open the door. I often find that when we invite God in just for a little bit, God will move in even more fully in ways that we cannot predict. And so you are welcome and encouraged and invited to return to those questions if there is work there for you to do. Let us rise in spirit and sing, Come Ruach, Breath of Life. As we turn to a time of prayer this morning, let's begin individually by settling back into that breath that we began with as we gather today. And let us hold that space for our breath for a moment. God, you know all that is within us. You know the joys and the worries that we walked in with this morning, the joys and the worries that we are sitting with from somewhere else today. And so our prayer this morning is simply this. Come, Ruah, 
breath of life. And knowing that you hold us in this breath that is your spirit, we join together to say a prayer that Jesus taught. Eternal spirit, source of all that is and ever shall be, loving parent in whom we discern heaven, May knowledge of your holiness inspire all peoples, and may your commonwealth of peace and freedom flourish on earth until all of humankind heed your call to justice and compassion. May we find the bread that we need for today, and for the hurts we cause one another, May we be forgiven in the same measure that we forgive. In times of trial and temptation, help us to be strong. When life seems overwhelming, help us to endure, and thus from the yoke of sin deliver us. May you reign in the power of human love, now and forever. Amen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Karina Doyle. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a member of Church Council, and it's delightful to be here with you all this morning. Um, It's Robert Helmstead's birthday today. That that was off script. Um, A very special welcome this morning to visitors and guests, and welcome back to those who have not been here for a while. We are so glad you're here. You can join the walking group at Pella Crossing at 1 p.m. on Wednesday afternoons. New folks are always welcome. Uh, Wayne, I'm going to ask you to put the picture up if it's possible. Nice. He did that just this morning. I gave it to him right before church started, so I'm glad you're able to put that together. Uh, Again, off script, but this is the announcement for we have a little public pantry, and the pictures here are, um, that's Haley Pierce on the left with her advisor, Carrie Adams, and her capstone project at Silver Creek High School is to put together a little public pantry, and with the partnership of our church, it was installed right at the corner of our fellowship hall. So if you have any um, unused and still in the package food products that, you know, obviously no fresh produce, um, but, you know, it's January, so we're all buying healthy food now. So in May, when you go, I'm never going to eat that, you could put it in the little public pantry. Um, If you got too many chocolates for the holidays, those could go in there. Um, So we're just really happy and proud of this partnership with the the folks at Silver Creek High School. Uh, There's a new artist in the art lounge, so be sure to visit the art lounge and check it out. It includes flowers, landscapes, abstract images, and bears. Our artist is Deb Stanger. 
Our winter congregational meeting will be held after service today. The meeting will be here in the sanctuary and via Zoom. To join the meeting via Zoom, click on the link that you received in this week's Happenings newsletter. If you'd like to support UCC Longmont financially, you can give online at ucclongmont.org giving. Or you can use the offering boxes on the back wall of the sanctuary. Uh, please, oh, sorry, I'm not supposed to read that part. I screw this up every time. Please point to the boxes in the back of the sanctuary. <laughs> sorry. Um, if you're looking for other ways to connect to this community, please check out our website or our Facebook page. Have a great week, everybody. so fun to laugh together. It really is a joy. And when Jesus was preparing his disciples um, for difficult days that were to come, he knew that it wouldn't be enough to just say, well, just laugh together. What he said was, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. And so in those moments that are to come, and maybe those moments that some of you are living through now, may those words find you. And may they offer you some breathing room. Because the peace of Christ is with you. So do not let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. Believe these words of comfort and assurance because our Christ the one who is the breath, gives in ways that are not of the world, gives in ways that are life-giving. And so I want to invite you now to just stand for a moment and turn toward each other and practice sharing those words. The peace of Christ is with you. The peace of our God is with you. <laughs> 